World Wide Web has long been host to copied and pasted stories of an apocryphal nature. These stories came to be known as Copyvasta, and then the creepy variant emerged. Welcome to Creepy Podsta, the Creepy Pasta Podcast. Hello, it's this show, you're, you know all about it. I'm Jeff, the host of it. We talk about the creepypastas on it, and this week is no different than any other week where we talk about creepypastas. Well, sometimes there's different weeks. Uh, there were a couple times where we talked about movies instead. Uh, Blair Witch seemed like a particularly uh, egregious uh, misstep away from the genre, although I really liked the movie and I enjoyed that episode a lot. Um, that is the least creepypasta-ish story we've covered, I think. Uh, We've covered a couple other movies, actually. I just don't remember them off the top of my head. You know what? I'm going to give Blair Witch a pass, because it's a found footage movie about a local urban legend, so I'm going to say it's creepypasta enough to justify covering it. Uh, We also covered Five Nights at Freddy's. That one uh, is... It definitely exists within the same horror space. Like, there's dozens of creepypastas that predate that game series that basically do the exact same thing as as that. They're about like, oh, it's a haunted kids thing. You know, uh, kids like stuff. This time, it's scary. Um, anyway, we're covering like some basic, like primordial ooze creepypastas here. It's not an old story. It's from uh, July 12th, 2013 is when creepypasta.com posted it. Uh, so it maybe floated around a little before that, but uh, probably not for long. Uh, this this one is called The Crawl Space, and to discuss it with me, I have both uh, both guests are returning to the show. Man, that sentence was not correct to say. It worked bad out of my mouth. I have two returning guests, and their names are Lisette Voitko. Hey! And Cassie Kingsbury. Pasta pals! What's up? Yeah, we're here for the pastas. Um, so, uh, Lisette, you brought Crawl Space to us. I mean, from the suggestion list, but ultimately it was your idea that we should cover this during this recording session. Uh, so you will have to suffer the uh, unfavorable task of recapping it for us. What what I'm really doing right now is trying to fill for time because I want to look uh, look at who suggested that we cover this story in the first place. And the Google Sheets file takes like a little bit of time to load. So what I'm doing right now is just making sure that we don't have any dead air while I look up that it was submitted by uh, fan and regular contributor Andy Conduit-Turner. Thank you, Andy, for uh, giving us this to do at, for, with. Uh, and and Lisette, you may go when you are ready to tell us what happens in the crawl space, which not much does, so... Okay, so to lay the scene of the crawl space, we have an unnamed narrator who we assume is, I would say, college age, based on the fact that um, this is all about a study abroad experience gone completely awry. Uh, this was uh, a student who, I assume a student, who is uh, going to Rome for several months, and um, essentially what happens is that they're taking a 19-hour flight to go to Rome, and when they get there, they, as part of this study abroad program they've signed up for, 
have to find their own apartment. And so this narrator, who I also assume is female based on the fact that all of the other named characters in the story are also female names, uh, they're searching high and low for a place to live in Rome, which seems like it's ex it's expensive, which I've never been, but, you know, it's a major city. You know, it seems plausible that they have, they're having a hard time finding a place. Uh, there's not a lot of mention of Italian things within the story, but they do manage to find this cheap apartment and I'm probably going to butcher this, the Campo di Fiori in Rome. And it's this like old apartment that is in this yellow building that's at the top of these like spiral staircases. And so they've got this whole group of girls with their luggage and they, you know, bring all their stuff up to the, the apartment. They're like, yay, we have a new apartment. This is amazing. They're running around. They're having a great time. And then they notice that there's like a door next to this like magical washer dryer machine that like Rome Yeah, they're so excited that they don't have to like get out a washboard and scrub their clothes by hand like all the other filthy rural uh Europeans who for some reason don't have laundromats in Rome, one of the biggest cities on earth. But anyway, hey, I've never been to Rome. Maybe they don't have them. Yeah. And also it's like not that <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was like, why? Yeah, no, I'm totally with you there. So moving right along from the random washer dryer that they were so excited about, I guess they're very American. So that was the, the appeal of the washer dryer. They discover a master bedroom that has its own master bathroom. And the master bathroom is something that all the women were fighting over. And then the narrator and her roommate decide it gets to be their bathroom. And then every time she goes in there, it's like, something's weird, something's off. She feels like she's being watched. It's really, uh, you know, not to be too on the nose, very creepy. And uh, one day, all the women in the apartment are getting ready in there, and they discover this, like, door, this tiny door in the wall in the master bath. It's, like, been painted over. When I think, like, painted over, I think painted over in the sense that the coat of paint was so thick that they had to get, like, a pocket knife or something to, like, split the paint around the actual crack of the door. And then, you know, they're able to open this door, and it's just, like, this crawl space that's big and kind of smells weird. And yeah. long story short, there's obviously something living in there, and something very evil. And uh, this is something that, you know, mounts over a series of nights where the narrator's trying to sleep, and she can hear something moving around in the house and it ends up, um, you know, she tries to talk to a friend of hers from back home that she Skypes her friend. I think this is like an important detail because it goes nowhere where the friend was like, send me some pictures. And the narrator's like, sure. So she takes pictures and like one of them has this like grinning ghoul face in it, but she never actually sends the pictures back to her friend to help her figure out what's going on. So that's like a plot yeah, point she, that goes nowhere. She also never shows any of the roommates this picture as evidence and makes a big deal about how they don't believe her. It's very strange. It is really strange. And so it gets to the point where another one of these nights happens where she's hearing something moving around the house. It actually comes into the room that she's sleeping in and it grabs her feet in the bed, I believe. And it smells really bad. And she like starts screaming and the thing like runs away and it's described as having this like spider-like run and her roommate's like, what's wrong with you? What's going on with you? And 
like why won't you just like let us sleep and then like you know no one will believe her that there's something else going on so she like goes to the program director of this study abroad program begs her parents to let her come home they let her come home uh long story short like a couple weeks later after she finally goes home um she gets a call from the program director being like oh your roommates turned up missing surprise surprise and then basically the narrator's like yeah they're pretty much all dead and don't ever go stay in that apartment again the end yeah it's 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 very strange because the narrator is not in a uh is not painted in a good light at all uh by this story because she's just like uh i'm i see a monster and i have a photograph of the monster but i'm not going to show any of the people that are in in the apartment with me this photograph of a monster that lives in the apartment uh but i will tell them about it and i know they won't believe me because they don't like me because i'm not in the in crowd uh and then i'm just gonna leave (laughs) and we never find out about the nature of the monster we never find out for sure that it kills the girls uh it does seem to be some sort of monster alien creature because it like has no lips and it's like tall and bony and it glows light faintly blue um i don't know it's just so bizarre it's like a i whenever we get a story like this my thought is to try and figure out what it's ripping off of because usually it's ripping off of something but in this case it's not necessarily doing that um, I disagree. Oh, uh, what do you think it's ripping off of? I feel like it's like, let's do paranormal activity, but let's put it in Italy for whatever reason. Ooh, interesting. Um, yeah, I guess it's, uh, it's definitely in that genre of, of haunted house sort of thing, but a monster instead of a ghost. Um, it's interesting that that's the parallel you drew. Um, I guess backed up by the fact, well, here's, I'm a big fan of the first Paranormal Activity, less of a fan of each of them going on through the series. I've seen all of them. Uh, the first one is, I think, a genuine masterpiece. The second one is pretty good. Uh, the third one has a couple of good scenes, and then four, five, and six are all bad. Um, <laughs> Uh, and, but they all follow the same basic structure where there's some stuff that is easily excusable that happens that's kind of spooky. You know, because you know it's a ghost movie as an audience member, you know that it's, uh, gonna be a ghost. But as it goes on, the stuff gets less and less explainable until the beginning of the third act where you get what I refer to as the daytime activity, where the ghost stuff usually happening at night now happens during the day in a way that is inexcusable. Uh, I think the moment in the second movie for this is when all of the cabinets open all at the same time, and uh, I don't remember if stuff flies out of them, but I know all of the cabinets open all at the same time with a bunch of people in the room, and that's the point where it turns and it's like, Okay, it's definitely magic. It's definitely very bad. Um, so I, I don't know. It's like, 
this story never gets to never gets beyond the sort of explainable mischief except for our narrator who sees a monster but for everyone else it's just like we don't see the second or third act where it gets more and more menacing before they're before they're dragged to hell it's just the narrator leaves at the end of the first act and then hears that everyone died <laughs> so Cassie how did this story strike you uh, I, I know that you like me are a fan of the paranormal activity films I'm wondering if uh, perhaps that comparison jumped to mind at all with the uh, sort of unexplained cabinet slamming uh, that is common to both this story and literally every movie about a haunted house <laughs> um yes i do love paranormal activity i honestly didn't think about that at all though when i was reading this story originally i think because i really enjoyed the paranormal activity movies and i just automatically come at creepy process with a really critical point of view i'm sorry but it's just <laughs> how i operate well <laughs> Most of them are bad. That's not an unreasonable <laughs> thing to do. Um, but now that you've pointed it out, yeah, I, I can definitely see that in terms of just the slow build and kind of the types of activity that happens. I, uh, again, I think it's so weird the perspective we're given on this story. I think it would have been so much more interesting from, who is it? Stephanie is the roommate. Uh, I think it would have been so much more interesting from her perspective, seeing her roommate sort of go crazy and then leave. And then, like, we get a little more story with some more monster action. Um, but instead, the main character who goes unnamed, um, who we uh, are fairly sure is a teen girl or perhaps college-aged woman, um, but we do not know for sure, um, just, like, it's from her perspective, and she knows about the monster, and she tells them, does not show the physical evidence of it, and then leaves. And it's just, like, there's just so little substance to it that it's it, it feels like a waste of time to have read it. That's actually something that really bothered me about this story, is, especially towards the end, she says something like, I tried everything I could to get them to believe me. And it's like, no you didn't. You mentioned it, like, twice, and for some reason that immediately made your roommates hate you. I mean, understandably, they kind of don't know her and she's kind of saying things that are pretty strange. But I think there's literally like two incidents that cause her to think like, oh, there's some kind of demon in the house. And she really didn't try very hard to convince her roommates that that was the case. Yeah. Uh, and the bottom of the post has a uh, big air quotes photograph of the, <laughs> the monster. Someone has like photoshopped a spooky face into the corner of a picture of a, like a Harry Potter's bedroom type of under the stairs crawl space. Um, and I think that reveals the main problem with this creepypasta is it's another one of these goddamn picture prompts <laughs> that we get so many of. Um, we talked about the family portrait a few weeks ago. Uh, Cassie, I think you were on when we talked about the rake, which is another obvious, like, someone made a creepy Photoshop, someone else decided to make a backstory for the thing that's in the creepy Photoshop. This one, I think, is definitely one of those, somebody made a creepy Photoshop and then wrote a story based on it. Um, there's not a lot of spooky parts in here, but I think that we don't have much actual story to talk about, so let's get into the spooky parts. Wait, 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 can, um, I, can I launch some more complaints? Yeah, me too, please. Yeah. <laughs> please. Uh, Lissette, you, Lissette you, haven't, you haven't talked in a while. You go first. 
Like, where do I start? Like, okay, 19-hour <laughs> flight. Like, where were they flying from? California. Oh, like, yeah. wouldn't there be a layover? Why would, where did they get a direct flight to Rome? Did they get refueled in midair? Like what? It would be like, if they're flying from California, it would stop off. Where would it, would it Wouldn't you fly over go? Japan? Yeah, would it stop off in like Tokyo or something? I don't, uh, or would it go the other way? Is it still faster to go across the US and then stop off in New York and London? And if they were going from New York, they would stop over in London. Yeah. Or Paris. Yeah, exactly. But no, she's just like, yeah, it's a, you know, one of those private jets that you can just get (laughs) that goes directly from your backyard to Rome. Um, Yeah, so that's my first problem with it, is the travel stuff. My second problem is, what study abroad program makes you find your own accommodations? Like, I didn't study abroad. But like... They never mention going to school either. It seems more like a trip, like a vacation, than it does like a study abroad program. Well, we don't even know what they do because they just spend all their time in the apartment. Like, there's nothing else. Like, there's no mention (laughs) of them doing literally anything else the entire time. Yeah, they just, like, they just get haunted and then get (laughs) all murdered off screen. (laughs) And, like, why did it have to be in Italy? Right. I don't know. The story is presented as a cautionary tale about studying abroad, but there's nothing about the fact that it's overseas that plays into the scary things that happen. And she, I mean, I say she, the narrator, starts out with this whole like, oh, our apartment's in the Campe de Piero or something. And she's like, oh, and it's full of these ancient buildings. And I'm thinking, wow, cool. We're going to get some cool descriptions of Rome and the architecture and the stuff you do there and the people. And then like literally nothing else about Rome for the remainder of the story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's like I don't understand where that Rome stuff comes from. I don't understand w- the framing device of being like, so if be careful if you study abroad not to get a cheap apartment. Like, what? <laughs> it's you get a cheap apartment anywhere. Like the key is you find someone who's not a professional landlord who just like bought a new house and decided to start renting out their old one. That's the way you get cheap apartments. That's, like, I mean, there's probably other ways, but that's the way it's always happened for me. Uh, I don't know. Um, sorry, author Katie H. I don't think this deserves a 9.2 out of 10 from 2,180 votes on creepypasta.com. Uh, and I don't know how it got there. But... Mm. I mean, I guess it's competently written. The prose is readable and consistent. It's just the plot and characters don't exist. (laughs) You know, this kind of reminds me of Saved by the Bell. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, except that was, like, purely characters, I guess. Did they have plots? It's like, it reminds me of Saved by the Bell in the sense that, like, I think that this was somebody play-acting and what their idea of being college-age and studying abroad is like, but not having the experience of it. Like, oh, maybe I went to Rome once with my family for, like, a seven-day tour, and I decided that because I've been there that I can write about it, even though the only other reference to anything Italian in the story is Nutella. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That was so specific. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It didn't even occur to me that that was... An Italian thing, but yeah, I guess it is, huh? Or European at the very least. I don't know where it's 
specifically it comes from, but it's definitely European. Yeah. Yeah, it's... I really enjoyed also the uh, the author slash narrator. I'm just going to say narrator because I don't know about the author, but uh, she seems to have all this like internalized misogyny about how uh, women behave because... <laughs> Like, he's constantly talking about, like, oh, and then they all squealed and ran for their rooms excitedly, and, like, oh, what can you expect from a bunch of, like, women hanging out together? There was one where they were, like, making a decision about the apartment, even, and it was literally, like, oh, but then we all just went for it because, you know, women, how we make decisions. I don't even know. It was just, like, so yeah, weird. Was, <laughs> when they were choosing the apartment, uh, the narrator had her doubts uh, about because it was, like, suspiciously cheap, and then, excuse, like, says that they get it because... Well, you know how you you know, you know how girls get. <laughs> you know how they get excited. Like what? I don't. <laughs> it's so bad. I mean, like I guess I kind of know what you're going for there, but it doesn't. Uh, yeah. However, reason never really wins out in a group of excited young women. Uh, they had already made up their minds, and I, if I would be staying with them, this was my only option. Oh my god! So anyway, there was just like little tidbits of that sprinkled throughout, which I really did not enjoy. <laughs> what else? Do you have any any other slams? Uh, I have to think. I feel like I do. I had I had many slams while I was reading it. Oh, here's my <laughs> other one. We're in Rome, okay? Rome is like Catholic Central. I just feel like if you're going to write a story about a demon set in Rome and you're not going to reference like Catholic demonology or like get a priest in there or like even go look at a book, I don't know. Something needed to be done. And I guess this also has to do with bringing the setting into the story at all, which we already noted it was yeah. not brought in very well. Um, but that was kind of frustrating to me. Yeah, our narrator instead of like doing some Scooby-Doo investigating about what could be here like uh, give us a nice scene at the library where she's reading like big book of demons but <laughs> no it's just she gets the call to adventure and it's just like well no and then leaves and everyone dies <laughs> You know, like, uh, that whole, like, the she leaves and everyone dies thing, like, that reminds me of, actually, when I was at Rutgers and I was taking a writing course, I did something similar and something I had written, and my professor was like, when you do that, he's like, you're basically doing it so you have to, you, you avoid getting to the core of what you're talking about. It's, like, a convenient way for you to get out of it. And I'm wondering if yeah. the author was like, I don't really know what to do with this to make it scary, so I'm just going to, like, cop out of it. Yeah, I think it's uh, this author approached horror um, scenes the way Suzanne Collins approaches action, because um, every time something cool uh, happens at the peak of a Hunger Games book, um, uh, Katniss passes out and then wakes up after all the cool stuff has happened. Yeah. Um, and that is, I think, a common technique for people who are very good at writing character interactions, but um, have written themselves into an action scene that they don't want to address because uh, Bilbo Baggins also passes out a lot while during action scenes. <laughs> but you know what? Like, you know what? Writing, that's all he does. Writing all that stuff is really hard. <laughs> I find action scenes to be the easiest stuff to write because instead of having to think about motivations or like come up with good dialogue, you just have to describe people moving around and that is so simple to me. But I don't know. I get. I also am like the only person on the planet who really enjoys George R. R. Martin's page-length descriptions of feasts. So maybe my opinion on which things are cool or easy to write is not the best. 
I mean, the thing is, it's interesting to me about this is like, if it's, if we're considering it an action scene, like this is make-believe. You, it can literally be whatever you want. Like this is the part of the story. <laughs> we're not holding you to any standards because you get to make it up. Yeah. It's not yeah, like. There's no expectation. <laughs> it's not like writing about like a military battle where you have to understand like how weapons work or how formations work or how the chain of command works. It can be whatever you want it to be. Right. This is your demon. And all you had to do was kind of run around and shake the door handle and look kind of scary. I also hated the description of the demon, by the way. It was really strange how it was worded and it was just kind of um, very matter of fact, but not in a way that I feel was a stylistic choice. Um, and it just kind of was like creepy gray and it had like big eyes. I, I don't, there's just kind of like nothing to it. And I also felt like it was kind of like in Paranormal Activity, um, I have this feeling. And, and in general, when you see the monster, it gets less scary. Um, so I yeah. thought that that reveal of like, and then this is what it looked like. And then the, what it looked like was so unimpressive to me. <laughs> I just didn't know what the point of any of it was. Yeah. Yeah. I watched like the, every trailer for Paranormal Activity, The Ghost Dimension, which was the sixth one, correct? Is that the one um, where they time travel? <gasps> oh, they time travel at the end of the marked ones. That's the last um, one I saw. I'm sorry. That one, that moment at the end is like one of my favorite things because it shows on screen something that happened off screen in the first one and they explain it by uh, this teen character travels back in time to the first one to justify that scene. And I thought that was neat. Uh, I think the sixth one probably also has time travel. They open a big ghost hole and every trailer was like, this time you'll see the activity. And <laughs> like, yeah, I, I guess we do, but it's mostly just like a black cloud monster with teeth. And then at the end, I guess it's like a big seven foot tall dude and you see his shins. Oh, yeah. That's it. That's all there is. Like, it's... it. This story, I think, does... It, it sticks the landing a little better, but I think that building up to revealing a monster is never... It never works out. You're always going to be better off just catching glimpses of it. Because there's this build-up, and we know the monster's going to come through the door, and we know the narrator's going to see it. And here's its description. It stood there ominously in the doorway, staring me down. So first there of all, is... give me a little more on ominously. <laughs> right, it's a monster. Of course it's ominous. <laughs> yeah. Its eyes protruded slightly from its skull and gave off a very faint bluish light. So it has glow-in-the-dark bulging eyes, I guess? Um, it didn't appear to have a nose, only slits where the nostril should have been. It had the teeth of a man, but it had no lips, giving it the impression of an eternally toothy snarl. Its grayish-white skin was waxy and stretched tight over its bony face. The rest of its skeletal form was hard to make out as it was almost entirely enveloped in shadows. So we get that it's bony and it has gray skin and blue eyes and you can see its teeth. We don't see how tall it is. We don't learn, like, does it have long claw-like fingers? I think it grabs at her, doesn't it? Is Do it we like, get a description of its hands? Is it human shape? Is it a dog? Is it a bird? Like, what? Like, what is it? it yeah, it, I. It's because the fact that that she says it has the teeth of a man implies that otherwise it is nothing like a man. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. It's like it's got. It looks like some kind of mummy. It's got like the. Way it's described as like a mummy, but there's nothing. I'm kind of just picturing never... Gollum, but like that's because I'm too lazy to really pay that much more, you know, spend that much more time imagining this thing. 
I'm picturing the cover of a book, a YA horror novel I read as a child that I believe is called The Doomstone uh, by Paul Zindel. Um, I was a big fan of these Paul Zindel novels uh, in middle school. I'm going to drop a link to this cover in the um, in the chat here in a second. The Just a warning, it's got a spooky face. Um, so I'll enter it in the chat, and this is pretty much rereading the description. This is what popped into my head, but with a blue instead of red eye. Except I guess this has, like, sharp teeth instead of the teeth of a man, but it definitely has that no lips thing and no nose thing going for it, and the, like, skin stretched over. Um, I don't remember what this creature is like in the Doomstone, because the only Paul Zindel novel I really remember is Rats, which is about a bunch of mutant rats that take over a town, and of course it's up to some 12-year-olds to stop it. <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, like, the design of the creature is fine, but I want more detail. And also, I want to know what the thing's deal is. What is it? Where does it come from? Why does it live in this crawl space? And why do none of the other girls seem to be aware of or care about it? Also, why does this apartment have a washer and dryer when it's haunted? I'm just curious because they made a really big deal about the washer and dryer and how yeah. no apartments have a washer and dryer. I don't know if they ever did their laundry. Probably not. Is the landlord is the landlord teamed up with the monster to lure foreign exchange students to get this apartment and then the monster eats them? Is, is that why the apartment's so good but so cheap? Is the landlord the monster? Yeah, uh, good question. Possible. We don't. We never meet the landlord, do we? Like, yeah, they just. Like, I mean, I assume that's who shows them the house. And they didn't like get shown the house. They just got keys from an unspecified source, and then they go to the apartment. <laughs> I mean, none of this is how you would ever rent an apartment or study abroad, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But yeah, they don't ever actually meet the landlord. So this is my new running theory for this story. Um, I, I ha are we have we exhausted all the slam dunks uh, that we have on this story? No. So we can get into. Uh, okay, give me another. Why is there no dialogue? <laughs> oh my god, there's no dialogue. It's really oh annoying. Great point. I didn't even notice it till you pointed out. Uh, the author mutters some stuff to herself, and that's it. There's the, she doesn't talk to any of her roommates. Uh, you know what? She does stutter something at them. They don't respond. <laughs> Like yeah, there's there's two spoken lines, both of them by the narrator. Neither of them gets a response or is prompted by someone else talking. No, that's scary. That's the scariest part of the story. <laughs> Are these roommates even uh, really there? Who even knows? Yeah, did she hallucinate this entire foreign exchange program and uh, the death of her non-existent roommates? Um. All right, let's get into the spookiest parts. What's your spookiest part, Cassie? I don't... Uh, <laughs> when it's my spookiest part. I actually really like the last line of the story, which I don't have it in front of me, but it's something like, don't go to this apartment, there's, there's something there, something evil. And Yep, that's exactly yeah, it. There's so something there, something evil. I like that line, and that, that should have been the... The actual lesson, not don't study abroad, which is like very general thing to say. 
Um, but I liked her warning about the apartment at the end. I thought that was, that was like the most effective line in the whole story to me. Yeah, I want to, like, that's... This character almost seems like the backstory for the, like, creepy old lady at the beginning of another horror movie. Like, there's another spooky story, and the students are going to rent the apartment, and some creepy old lady comes out and is like, Stay away! There's a monster! <laughs> and they, of course, don't heed this warning. That's that's what this is in, in my imagination now. <laughs> Uh, Lisette, what's your spookiest part? Um, you know, it actually is the one detail of the monster that gave me some sort of visceral reaction. And this was like the final interaction with the monster when he comes into the room. And it says that um, after it paused for a moment in the doorway, it began to head toward me. As it moved, its body let out sickening cracks. And mm. that, yeah, gross, right? I was like, that was the one part where I was like, oh, that's unpleasant. And I don't want to have that anywhere near me. Thanks. <laughs> I think for me, the um, getting the picture and seeing the picture, um, I like that uh it's it's not quite the same but there's a sort of there's a moment in the first paranormal activity which is an example of dramatic irony where the audience does something that the characters within the story do not and it's when they leave the camera on and leave the house while they are playing with the Ouija board and then the Ouija board bursts into flames and this is sort of like uh in the same genre I would say um where characters find like they look at some videotape or a photograph later uh and see that they were actually in danger because there was a monster in that photograph um and i i like that up that aspect i'm i'm a sucker for that sort of thing where someone like takes a picture and then they go look at it later and it was a picture in the like a mirror selfie and then they look over their shoulder in the mirror and it was a boogeyman there like i i think that's pretty good um it's not much it's like not much of a big part of the story. It never goes anywhere. That photo uh, gets loaded onto the computer, never sent to anyone or shown to any of the roommates, and is totally forgotten about. <laughs> but but I like that idea. I just wish it had been executed. Um, all right, let's get into our plugs. Uh, where can the people find you online and interact with you in the ways that you would be okay with? We'll start with Cassie. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at LoveLessDrain. And Lisette? You can find me on the internet at LisetteVoitko.com. Same on Twitter, same on Medium, same on Instagram. And it'd be great if you came and checked me out in any of those places. Cool. You can find me in the usual spots, weaponizedlanguage.com, aka funtimes.online, for other episodes of this show, my other show all about Reddit, called Seeing Reddit. Uh, it's a comedy program with past guests Matt and Louisa Heron. Um, you can also listen to the now-complete Someone's PC, a Pokemon podcast starring past guests Chris Luminello and Louisa Heron. We re reviewed uh, the first 151 Pokemon in the National Pokedex, uh, and we'll probably never do more episodes because it's, it's I have to do all the work. Uh, and... Patreon.com slash JeffJK. If you give me $1 a month, you'll get two bonus audio things. Usually they will be me reading stories we've covered on this show. Um, although last month, one of them was uh, some extra outtakes from our final recording of someone's PC. 
because I thought that would be a nice send-off. And also you get a written piece for that $1. There's other higher tiers, but the one I'm really trying to push is $1, because that's not a big ask. And if all uh, 1700 to 2000-ish regular listeners gave me $1 a month, that would be uh, a lot of money. Thank you. <laughs> so please do it. You can also go to etsy.com slash shop slash funtimesonline to order Perler Bead Sprites if you don't like what you see there. I believe that there's a button on the page to take commissions. If not, you can just like tweet at me or something and we'll work a deal out where I will make a custom order for you and then send it to you for an amount of money. We'll figure it out. Um, I think that's all my things. And I think that's the end of this episode. So, um, goodbye. Uh, and whatever you do, don't stay on the third floor of the ancient yellow apartment complex above the Campo di Fiori. There's something there. Something evil. Thank you.